So as we continue this series, Climbing Higher, we come to one of the Beatitudes that I really do think is key to making a better world. But to get to it, we're going to have to understand a few things that maybe are counterintuitive to us. So when we look at the Beatitudes, one of the things that we tend to do is impose kind of a contemporary definition that we think of upon the text. So many times in our particular culture, when you hear the word meek, you often think of the word weak, all right? But meekness is not weakness, and I'll show you what that means here in a moment. What we find is that meekness, even if it is something like power under control, is something that most people don't want to aspire to. Now, when you look at the Beatitudes as something that you are trying to aspire to be like, the last thing that you want to do is be meek because people are going to run all over you. I don't think the Beatitudes are as much of an aspiration as it is a description. A description of people that lived in Jesus' day that labored under a lot of difficult circumstances. We have said that the Beatitudes can be looked at kind of through a prism of different angles. It can be physical, it can be psychological, it can be emotional and it can be spiritual. This particular one, I want you to think of in terms of a physical description of a particular group of people. Now, one of the things that we're going to need to do today to understand what this is talking about is to take this beatitude, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, and work backwards. Sometimes you don't understand what the purpose of something is unless you know what the author is aiming to do. The book of Romans is a perfect example of that in the New Testament. I don't think we understand what the book is about until we get to the end of the book. And so you almost have to read the book of Romans backwards a little bit to see where all that theology fits into the overall goal. So let's begin by looking at this beatitude, starting with the concept of the earth. Now, Jesus is saying in these beatitudes, God is with you, God is for you. And he's saying it to a group of people that had time to follow him around and listen to his teachings. I'm not just talking about the disciples. I'm talking about where did these masses of people come from? And why do they have the time to spend the whole day and listen to them? Well, the reason is because of where their lot is in their life. Many of them do not have employment. Many of them were looking for opportunities. If you read some of the parables of Jesus, you'll find that There are people kind of that stand around and they're just kind of waiting and looking if they can be employed for a day to get a little bit of money to put bread on the table. So this group of people that's listening to the Sermon on the Mount is a group of people, I think, 
that have been in some way disenfranchised and they are people that are listening to the teachings of Jesus and they understand what has been done to them and they are hoping that Jesus is going to give to them the hope that things will change. So let's come to this idea here. We have been looking at some of these Beatitudes and to think of them in different verbiage. Blessed are those who are poor at being spiritual for the kingdom of heaven is well suited for ordinary people. Blessed are the depressed who mourn and grieve for they create space to encounter comfort from another person. Blessed are the gentle and trusting who are not grasping and clutching. That's key here. For God will personally guarantee their share when heaven comes to earth. So we're going to start at the back. And the way we're going to do it is we're going to talk about the earth. Or another term that we can use for the earth is the land. Okay? Now, Brent and I were just down at the Cavaliers game uh, on Friday night. And one of their monikers is the land. Defend the land. That goes all the way back to LeBron James who kind of used that as a nickname. Cleveland is the land. So they have sweatshirts that says the land on it and stuff. When we think of the land in the Bible, it is a very big deal. You can almost summarize the Old Testament using this idea of the land. The land is something that is precious to people that had been held in slavery for 400 years in Egypt, when God makes his appearance to Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm going to make you and your descendants into a great nation. And in Genesis chapter 15, what we find is the first expression of what is known as the Abrahamic covenant. And the Abrahamic covenant is this promise that as they leave this land of imprisonment, God's going to lead them into a land flowing with milk and honey. And God says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you and your family and a great nation is in your loins. And I'm going to give you the land all the way from the river Egypt up to the river Euphrates. Now in the Old Testament, that has become known as the promised land. Okay, the promised land. Or another term for it is the land of Canaan, because people that were dwelling in that land at the time this covenant was made were the Canaanites. So this promise is you're going to go out and you're going to have this land, you're going to settle down, you're going to become a great nation. Well, it doesn't take too long before they divide up the land and they give it to the 12 clans or the 12 tribes of Israel. And they all have their own territory. And they parse it out to the people according to the size of their clan. And they each have their own place that they can farm. They have their own land that they can use to create food and feed their livestock and that type of thing. However, in the Old Testament, they get displaced from the land because there is a nation called Babylon that invades them conquers the area and takes the people captive back to Babylon. So they don't have a land, then they have land, then they lose the land, 
and it's their hope to get back to the land. Okay? Now, this is a couple thousand years later, and we're still talking about the land in Israel. And now there's this same squabble that is fighting for this same territory between Israelites and Palestinians. And there are certain sections of that land that's designated for the Palestinians and certain sections for the Israelites. And there has been ongoing struggle and war time and time again to control this piece of land. It is called Mesopotamia, an ancient word that means between the areas of Egypt and going on up to Babylon. It's a very precise, it's a very critical piece of territory. And those that control that piece of territory control the ability uh, to, uh, to travel through that area, not only from Babylon to Egypt, but all of, also up into Asia Minor as well. So it's a critical piece. And here what we find is in the Old Testament, the land keeps coming up again and again. It talks about entering the land, keeping the land, being displaced from the land, and finally getting back to the land. Now, why? People who own the land also control the resources on that land, right? So when you think about one nation conquering another nation, it's not just for the dirt. Are you following what I'm saying? It's for the resources that that land produces, whether it is something agricultural or whether it is like Jed Clampett who shoots into the ground and up comes a bubbling crude and all of a sudden he's a millionaire, right? So what we have here is a story of a land of milk and honey that's able to do some things for the people to secure them as a nation. Now, Israel's entire existence is in one way or another connected to this land as an inheritance from God. God gave it to them. Now, that raises a whole other problem that we won't talk about today, and that is, what do you do with the violence in the Old Testament when the Israelites go in and try to exterminate the Canaanites, right? We'll push that aside. Let's just keep that aside for today. But... When you look at the laws in the Torah, remember the Torah is the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. There's a lot of laws about the land, what you can do with the land, how you should take care of the land, how to make sure the land can be most fruitful. And what you find is that there is called sabbatical years. You're supposed to lie, uh, allow the land to lie fallow so that it can produce better crops and so forth. You also have laws that are designed to help other people. So if you own a field and you grow some type of commodity on that field, uh, God says in the Torah, don't glean all of it. Leave the edges around the field for those who are poor, those who don't have the inheritance so that they can glean from the edges of the field. That's the whole story of the book of Ruth that we talked about, oh gosh, that was a couple of years ago when we went through that book. So the land is important, and so God tries to regulate the use of the land in many of the laws of the Old Testament, and they are called to take care of it. They're called to honor the land, to cultivate the land, uh, not to abuse the land. 
Does that make sense, everybody? Okay. So, the land is a big deal. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The idea of the earth is the land. Okay, next. This is really important. So what happens in the Old Testament is sometimes people come against hard times. Perhaps there's a famine that occurs, all right? They're unable to produce the crop they need to feed their family, and so what they have to do is find a way to make some money to be able to buy food that they cannot grow to feed their family, to care for them. So what often happened was people go, well, this inheritance that was given to me when the land was divided up during the time of Joshua among the 12 tribes, each person got their section of land, they often had to sell it off. Does that make sense? They had to sell that land off so that they could get some money to buy food um, or milk or whatever was needed to be able to feed their family. There's a lot of stories in the Old Testament about famine and widows in particular that struggle to survive. Well, what they often had to do was sell off their property and they lost their inheritance, okay? They no longer have it. And you can see here that Israelite property laws had a concern for the rights of the individual and the clans. They wanted to be able to make sure that piece of territory was continued to hand from one generation to the next. But the only transfer of property in ancient Israel was not, I want to buy your land. Technically, the only way you could get that land was through inheritance, okay, because your ancestors handed it down to you. Now, something happens. We're told in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 8, that the people have an idea that if they would have a king, things would be a lot better. And so they keep petitioning the prophet Samuel to anoint a king for them. And Samuel says to um, them, you know, that's not a great idea because here's what's going to happen. A king is going to want to defend his empire and he's going to take your sons, he's going to send them into war. He's going to take your daughters and he's going to make them uh, bakers and cooks and those type of things and he's going to take your land and he's going to tax you on the land and he's going to take this inheritance that was given to you as part of his own. Now that brings us to the story of Ahab and Naboth that I read for you earlier. King Ahab, he likes that vineyard because he doesn't have to walk as far to get the grapes that he's going to make his wine. It's going to be right next to the palace, but Naboth owns that, right? And he says, I want that land. I'll give you a better vineyard. But Naboth had been trained to understand, no, 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 this is the inheritance that God gave our people, my family, and that has been down, passed down from one generation to another. But the monarchy began to disregard that. And when they saw what they wanted, they took it. And as they took it, they put it into their stockpile of resources, and they got rich off of it. 
and they became very elaborate. One of the worst offenders of that was uh, David's son Solomon. Solomon um, built a huge empire on the backs of slaves and um, took, he had over a thousand wives and concubines. Uh, he was an individual that took them as wives so that he could claim the land and inheritances of all these different things. So there's a lot of dynamics that are going on here. But to lose your inheritance was essentially to lose your life because you didn't have anything. Now you live on the streets. Now you're homeless, okay? They go, what does all of this have to do with this beatitude? The meek that's mentioned by Jesus, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit, there's the two terms, the earth or the land, inheritance. The meek are not people that are some type of weak people. These are people that have been victims of injustice. These are people that have been betrayed or uh, bullied or brutalized by those that are in power. And what Jesus is doing is saying, God's with you, and God is going to make it right. What we don't know is when. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. They shall inherit the land. There's a time that is coming where God is going to put the world to rights. Now, who has land rights? That's a key question here. Um, I ran across this that you might find interesting. So, how many of you know the song, This Land is Your Land, right? Okay, you know this. This land is your land, this land is my land, from California to the New York Island, from the Red Reef Forest to the Gulf Stream waters, this land was made for you and me. Okay. Have you ever heard this verse? Verse number four of this song. There was a big high wall there that tried to stop me. A sign was painted, private property. But on the back side, it didn't say nothing. This land was made for you and me. Isn't that an interesting verse? Let me say it again. There was a big high wall there that tried to stop me. A sign was painted, private property. But on the back side, it didn't say nothing. This land was made for you and me. What's implied there? Well, it doesn't say it on the other side. I'm going to go ahead and use it. I'm going to squat on it or whatever, okay? Okay, that'll go so far until this guy or gal run up against uh, being prosecuted or arrested or beaten or even killed, right? But when you lose your inheritance, what do you do? How do you make ends meet? So Jesus, I think, is saying here that there's a day that is coming when God will step in to those who have been brutalized and will make it right. But in the meantime, the meek are those that are still just trying to eke out a living. Now, in our world, the people that we celebrate the most, that we look up to, are the fast and the furious and the rich and the famous, right? The ones that have four mansions, not just the one house. 
the ones that have a staff that runs all four of their mansions. That's a whole different world, right? I can't even relate to that. But in many ways, this beatitude is criticizing the lack of concern on behalf of those who have much and will not share with those who have little. Now, Jesus is not talking about capitalism or socialism or communism. He's not talking about a political system because that wasn't even in the Bible at that time. All right? You had monarchs, right? And that's who were the individuals that controlled the resources and so forth. But what it is telling us to do is take a close look at what our assumptions are. And the assumption is, if I want it, I can take it. And a lot of times what we find is what sneaks in to government law and into business practices is this shark mentality. We just eat what we need to continue to keep the profits high and to be able to satisfy our shareholders. Doesn't matter what we do to other people. As long as our bottom line is continued growth all the time. That's a good goal in and of itself as long as you're doing it ethically. Right? As long as you're doing it understanding that God looks down upon those who use things like predatory loan practices or use violence or oppression to force the bottom line to go up. And that's where Psalm 37 came in that we started the service with. As far back as the Old Testament, there is this idea that God is going to uh, turn the world around. He's going to make things right. I think what we struggle with is when. We've been waiting and waiting and waiting. And sometimes it's very difficult to turn these things around when you have people that are in power and in positions and only look out for themselves. And I'm not talking about any particular um, one thing. I'm just talking in general here. And yet promises are made all the time. So next year is going to be another election year. And all kinds of promises are going to be met, uh, made. But... When we look back four years later, how many of those promises are kept? Right? And we look and we say, oh my goodness, they never meant that at all. It was just a way to get into a position of power. I like what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said. He said, the arc of the universe bends towards justice. It takes a long time sometimes. But... Some, having that faith and working toward that common good, I think, is something that eventually gains momentum and gains progress. Are we perfect in our society now in racism? No, but we're a lot farther along than what we were back in the 60s. And it's a, it's a matter of continuing to work and work toward better goals. Well, what was one of the better goals for 
these people? Well, there is a law that was in the Old Testament that was never practiced. The law is the year of Jubilee. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. The year of Jubilee was every 50 years, 5-0, the land was to go back to its original owner. Okay? So, the idea is, all these generations, all these years, but the, but the 50th year is coming. And when it comes, all the land that was taken by those that had some unsavory business practices at times, all of that was to make things right. And all the land was to go back to those that had it as an inheritance. Now, how many times do you think that that law was kept? Zero. It was a law that never was observed, ever. Because there's too much to lose, right? There's too much to lose if all the things that I have acquired go back to the original owner. But why would God ask the nation of Israel to do that? So that the gap between the rich and the poor would not continue to just keep growing wider and wider. Because, as we said at the beginning of this service, it takes everyone to make a community. It takes everyone to be a, a country. You can't leave certain people behind. You have to be able to somehow work toward the common good. So the year of Jubilee never, ever was observed. But one of the things that happens is that God says, I'm taking notice of this. And somehow, and I can't explain how, God still wants to push the envelope forward in bringing about justice in the world. Now that brings us to Thanksgiving. So look at this picture here. A moment is coming. God sees the meek and promises that they will have an inheritance in the future. And I already talked about the year of Jubilee. But look at this picture. Does anybody know what that's a picture of? What's that? Exactly. Okay, Brenda hit it on the head. The Trail of Tears. So, I don't know if you know this or not. Um, when we come up to Thanksgiving, we have a real idealized picture of Thanksgiving of Native Americans and pilgrims sitting down and sharing a meal together. You know, the pilgrims, the one with buckles on their shoes and <laughs> that type of thing, right? Did that happen? Yeah, but have we idealized it? Yes, okay? What actually happened was this. In the 1830s, around the same time that the term Thanksgiving 
was gaining popularity. President Andrew Jackson enacted what was known as the Indian Removal Act. You know what that is? It was white people taking Native American land and pushing them farther westward, and thousands died as they had to travel to reservations. Thanksgiving really is a story of mourning for Native Americans. They're not giving thanks this year. They're mourning because here's a group that came in and they tried to embrace, at least initially, at least that's the urban legend of it, of sitting down and sharing a meal together. But slowly their land was being taken away. Their inheritance was being taken away from them. And they kept being pushed farther westward until they were given a piece of land where they were to live. But it wasn't the best land. It wasn't the type of land that they could raise their family on. It was the throwaway type places, right? And yet we gloss over what I think is being taught in this beatitude. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. But what is it that we can do to make sure we're not like those that have been forced off of their land that they occupied for centuries from one generation to the next? Maybe what we can do is get at the heart of this beatitude by looking at the First Nations translation of the Beatitude in Matthew 5.5. The Creator's blessing rests on the ones who walk softly and in a humble manner. The earth, land, and sky will welcome them and always be their home. Isn't that a fascinating translation? Uh, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We have a lot to learn from the first peoples of our nation how they honored the earth, how they saw it as a gift from the creator, how they continued to uh, use the land and as a way of making a living and a life. So there's a lot of things to think about when we think about this holiday Thanksgiving. It really is more than eating turkey and watching football. This week is a time to reflect. Reflect on God's graces in our lives, all the good gifts that he has given to us. And it's also a time for us to repent in the sense of being so obsessed with greed that we will displace other people. Now, you and I are not in a position to do those type of things. However, it is something I think that is important for us to understand that we need to look out for the common good. And as we do, then what we can do is really give thanks with a grateful heart for all the gifts that God has given to us. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I hope that helps you out a little bit in understanding this beatitude. I'm going to have Corey and Emma come up, and uh, we're going to sing 
Uh, Give thanks with a grateful heart. This is a song that goes all the way back to the 90s, I think, uh, or 70s even, yeah. Um, So you might know it, but it's an apropos song for us to sing together, and I really do wish you a wonderful Thanksgiving. May it be a precious time with your family. May it be a time where your heart is soft toward all the good things you enjoy. And may it also be a time to say, who are the people that need the type of encouragement to continue to move on within my circle of influence? Stand and we'll sing together.